two, three. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wallet Street. Um, this is the podcast version of the new newsletter where we talk about money, crypto, tech, and anything else that sparks um, intellectual curiosity. Um, you can subscribe to the newsletter at walletstreet.squarespace.com um, and you can subscribe to the podcasts on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Um, and just to start off, I uh, want to make sure everyone understands the disclaimer. The opinions are my own. I don't represent any, any organization. And um, the content on the podcast uh, and the newsletter don't constitute like financial, legal, accounting, tax, or investment advice. Um, so now that we have the boring legal stuff out of the way, um, the topic today is DeFi, which stands for Decentralized Finance. Um, I'm super excited to talk about this for several reasons. One is that I worked in crypto industry myself, and like this is still a topic that I don't even really quite think I fully grasped. So I figure there are probably other people out there who are in a similar boat and trying to understand like what it means. But there's definitely been a lot of buzz about it recently. And so I think it's important to try to understand like what is it and how is it different from, um, I guess it's opposite, which would be centralized finance instead of decentralized finance. So um, to talk with me about this is a friend of mine from business school, um, Praneeth Srikanti, um, who's joining me from far away, but welcome Praneeth. And like, if you wanna give a little background about yourself or say hello. Oh, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and thanks, thanks so much for, for having me, Charlotte. I think this, um, and when I, I when I saw the um, the name of the podcast, I, I think this this was in, in and of itself a, a kicker for me because <laughs> this this reflects or essentially is a great meeting point of um, um, I guess what one calls traditional finance and um, the more um, I guess. Uh, what should I say? I guess the unbridled innovation that's that's typically happening in the, the crypto space around unbundling financial services. So I thought, yeah, this this is this is the way things should should be, and this is an apt um, discussion that I should definitely be having with with with, with you. But um, uh, as, as for your background, um, so I I work with the, the venture investment team at Consensus. Uh, and have been uh, there for the past three years. And for those who do not know, Consensus is a software um, organization that is essentially helping enterprises and, and governments understand uh, the scope of uh, blockchain-based use cases and, and extending infrastructure services to, to the same. And um, as, as part of my role at Consensus, what um, I, I do is essentially work firstly with the extensive portfolio companies that that Consensus is, in, is invested in and, and also kind of seek to find um, talented and exceptional founders really working um, in the, the blockchain and the web three space and, and, and kind of providing them with, with capital and resources and hopefully things that they perceive useful to help them scale and grow and, and build products and protocols that, that could really change the way we, we collaborate. So um, yeah, uh, that's, that's a brief snapshot and very, very excited to be on this, on, on this episode. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited because you're very knowledgeable and I know um, uh, you actually suggested this as a topic and reached out to me and I'm glad you did because it's one that, like I mentioned, I'm still learning about and that I think will continue to grow a ton in the industry. Um, so I'm glad we're able to chat more about it. 
Um, just before we launch into, um, I guess, DeFi, what, uh, could you just give a brief, and, and I know I don't have this on like our outline of discussion, but um, so it's, it's a little impromptu, but when did you start like really trading or getting into crypto? Like how early back or like how many years back did you start getting into the space? Well, I think, uh, I would say I probably fell down the rabbit hole um, when I was working at Microsoft um, in some sense where I think I, I got hold of uh, an interesting yellow paper that, that, that was kind of being circulated around. And um, I thought this, this actually sounds fun in terms of, um, I, I did hear about Bitcoin then and I, I, when, when I saw this, this, this was a, a really nice paradigm to, to start thinking beyond just payments and really thinking of, of having or running applications that, that had distributed state and memory over a blockchain infrastructure. And um, yeah, so I think I set up a, a small mining, mining um, set, set up, if one might call it that. I, I would hate to call it a mining rig because that was just not what it was um, back, I think, in about 2016. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think uh, it was ever since then that um, yeah, crypto has kind of been very, very fascinating and uh, uh, more so in 2018 when I got the opportunity to join Consensus and start working um, with, with exceptional people across the board. I think that, that was when I think um, the, the plunge was a lot more precipitous, if one might call it that, but it's, it's been incredible in, in every sense of the term. Awesome. Um, yeah, so you're definitely an early... Um, I guess early-ish adopter um, in terms of Bitcoin. Maybe not the earliest, but given that it's only been around for like 11 years, if you count the white paper as kind of in 2009 as the starting point, <laughs> you're fairly early on <laughs> relative to a lot of us that got in um, a little bit later. But uh, okay, so let's start with what the hell is DeFi? Because I posted this just to get a sense um, from friends about like where people were at in terms of their knowledge of the space. And um, so I posted a little poll question on my Instagram and asked people, do you know what De basically, do you know what DeFi stands for? And there were three options. One was um, decentralized finance. The second was, I don't know, but I want to learn. And then the third was, I don't know, but I don't care. So <laughs> um, I got about 80, I was looking at the stats, so I got about 80 views. Um, only three people out of the 80 knew what DeFi stood for or guessed correctly. Um, about 10, so about, you know, a little bit more than 10%, um, probably 12% of people said they don't know, but are interested. And then the rest didn't respond. So I don't know if I'm going to take the lack of response as like, don't know, don't care, but we're just going to sidestep that and, and focus on the people on the metric that's most important, which is I think a lot of people don't know what it is and, but like are interested. So could you at a very high level um, explain what it is? Absolutely. And I think um, one part of my job is basically getting more people to, uh, to hopefully understand the ramifications of what, what this could mean. And if, if I get at least, I don't know, like three to five people at the end of this playing around with, with installing, I guess, MetaMask account and having eaten their deposits and, um, and um, yeah, hopefully kind of uh, getting, uh, getting to move their, their assets into the DeFi space, um, I, I think that that would be a huge success. But I am actually not convinced, given the, the, the huge amount of gas fees that we're kind of seeing on the network right now. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, hopefully this, this, this would be enough to kind of get, get people excited. But um, 
what what DeFi really is is um, how, how, uh, I think the, the the easiest way to kind of start thinking about DeFi is if if you kind of have um, if if you start thinking about the traditional financial system where um, even before the fintechs kind of came along, it, it was essentially um, the the case that any financial records and data um, were were essentially privy only to um, a certain set of I guess institutions in the sense that um, it was only a select set of stakeholders who could access any any data records and, and more importantly change those 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 those, those records to um, to reflect a state of change in the, the underlying um, I guess capital or, or wealth or whatever this 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 might be um, and the next step that we kind of saw was essentially the the creation of of what one might call read access to to some some part of this financial information where you kind of have um, people um, like like fintechs for instance and and the, the rise of open banking that that really enables people um, to to kind of should we say um, um, get get more information about say the the transaction history you've, you've had um, in, in terms of spending at, at a certain venue and kind of using that as a basis to to start potentially rewarding you with loyalty points and things along those lines. But um, there, there still are things about the, the core clearing and settlement functions that, that you associate with wealth that, that are very, very firmly ensconced. Uh, but then again, a, a small set of um, entities, if one might call it that. Um, and, it, it, and the thing that, that people typically face when they, they want to kind of launch a new financial service of their own is that um, you are saddled with a lot of regulatory inhibitions or, or burdens that, that you don't really anticipate, which, which have kind of been put in place to, to protect, I, I guess, um, retail consumers um, and, and their interests. But it, it ends up being very, very onerous. and. Um, this this is something that, that that has kind of coincided with with another trend, which which is probably the decline in upward in upward mobility that that consumers have typically faced. Where um, I, I guess the amount of wealth that that you could make now is is far lesser, say compared to um, a person in the thirties or the forties, in, in some sense, and, and have um, access to a, a similar standard of living, if one might call it that. So. Um, the, the notion of value as, as it is, is itself kind of changing because what, what was valuable before is, is no longer something that, that kind of flows down to, uh, to this generation and to, to generations below that. And, and people seem to be finding a different way of expressing value in, in, in terms of uh, the, the interactions that they have within their groups and within their communities. And, and uh, people kind of see or are actually seeking a way to, um, to associate some, some form of, um, should we say, financial, um, uh, I, I guess, information to, to things that, that, that are valuable within, within their communities. So I think it's, it's the, the coinciding of both of these factors that's essentially kind of creating what, what we call DeFi. Mm -hmm. um, and DeFi is essentially um, an, an open permissionless set of financial applications that really grant users more agency over their capital and, and how they define it, how they create it, how they um, transmit it, how they distribute it within, within the communities that they care about. And all of this is really built on, on top of a public permissionless settlement layer like, like Ethereum. Um, <clears throat> Maybe we can start with, or just walking before we go into 
more of of the technology of how DeFi works or how the permissionless technology works, starting with where people might understand is like today, for example, if I want to go, and I think this is where decentralized, you know, to define decentralized finance, maybe we should almost start at like what centralized finance is or which is really like how it works today, right? Like if or, or how it has typically worked for many hundreds of years, which is if I want to go like, let's just say get a loan, right? Very simple from typically you go to a bank and like you were saying, the bank is the one that has access to your financial information, to data. And it's really a stakeholder that has a lot of, um, I guess, influence or power within the system, right? Because they, it's almost asymmetry of information. They hold a ton of information about you and not necessarily anyone else. So if you want to go take out a loan, you go to the bank and they're going to set you or give you a certain rate, right? Based on a, a certain interest rate, based on a ton of like macro and whatever factors, but um, about, but yes, that yes, but it. like they kind of hold the cards, right? And and to your point, there's been a lot of regulatory, um, like a regulatory ecosystem over the years that has been built on top of that through trying to protect consumers or just trying to regulate how banks act, right? I think 2008, 2009 is like a perfect example of that, of like trying to prevent certain bad behaviors. Um, but basically the, the, the point is like, if I want to go, like, let's say you and I, you want to put your money somewhere and, and earn interest and deposit it because you're not using it right now. And I want to take out a loan. You would put interest in the bank. The bank wants to do something with that money because they don't just want to let it sit in an account. So they're going to lend it out to me and make an interest. And hopefully they make money off the difference of those two interest rates, right? Um, so they're going to charge me ideally a little bit more than what they're going to pay you in terms of interest. And that's the spread. Um, obviously like nowadays banks are much more complex than that. So I think that's a very simplified version, but, but I think the idea is like, you're going through someone to really move money between you and me. Cause ultimately the money is kind of going between you and me, but you're really going through this like central, like person or stakeholder or group. Right. And I think. Um, now going to DeFi, what's really interesting is that it kind of takes that central person out, right? So it's you and I are now able to lend or deposit or charge each other rates or do it with a bunch of other people in a way that is kind of removing that whole central figure, right? Am I getting that you right? Are, that's how I kind of envision it in my head. Yep. I'd say um, it's it's not really the removal, and, and this, this is something that I've been getting to understand better over the, the time that I've been working um, in, in the crypto space, that it's it's not removal of intermediaries per se, but it's, it's essentially the capability to create as many intermediaries as you can who are not as value extractive as the current central, I, I guess, mm. central um, coordinating I guess intermediary, intermediaries that, that you see today. So the, the idea is for, for anyone to essentially step in and act as an intermediary and say, look, this, this is a conduit through which um, I guess people or entities can interact with each other. These are the rules by which they do so. And anyone can, can step, in, step in and create that system. Anyone can step in and use that system. And, and that, that, that is essentially what um, uh, DeFi really represents. 
And at the, the end of the day, you can even think about something like uh, like like this, for instance. Say say we both like um, I don't know, like a set uh, that 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 we're sneaker aficionados, for instance. Mm-hmm. And and we kind of have as a sneaker. I am a so sneaker people... aficionado, so that actually works well. Except <laughs> so. So, 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 so maybe what what uh, what what might happen is you you might want to say you might you might want to avail a loan um, and, and say look I've I've got these valuable pair of Jordans or whatever you might have but um, um I I want to kind of use these as as you know like security or collateral in in a in a given system uh, and and take out um, say a line of credit against the same but there's this very few people in the world um, existing. Um, should we say institutions today who actually know or know how to kind of evaluate or, or measure the value of what, what, uh, what, what assets you kind of own. Mm-hmm. But imagine that there is a community of, of people who truly understands the, the, the culture behind, be, behind these, these kinds of assets and collectibles. And, and they say, they, they, they decide to spin up a bank and, and they, they, they kind of, um, allow you to kind of deposit these these assets that you own and people within the community see that these are in fact valuable and that they, they would be willing to kind of lend you capital against against that with, with the promise that you know if, if you don't pay back they, they have something that that they can kind of recover in, in, a, in, a, in, in a way that that makes sense and they're still kind of happy at the end at the end of the day so that's that to me is is what DeFi really represents i i love that example and it's making me um, think about, I mean, in a way, like what technology has enabled, I think over the last 10 to 15 years, and we've seen it in other parts is like allowing an individual who has an asset, who's not using that asset and being able to actually put it to work. Right. And typically that might have been cash, right? So you're, I got a bunch of cash. I don't like need to actually spend it. I want to save it, but I would like to earn some interest. So typically you would maybe deposit that in the bank or put it in a mutual fund or put it in the stock market and earn some kind of return. But now, like you see something like Uber, it's like, I have a car. I'm not using my car for my own personal reasons. Maybe I can earn something off that car in another way by driving people around who do need a car and don't have one. Or same thing with Airbnb, right? And I think um, this is like the whole idea of the sharing economy. But um, it's, it's something I didn't think about is like, if I have valued assets that are in, that I own, like sneakers or I don't know, jewelry or like the world is your oyster, right? Like art. Um, a lot of these that are a little bit harder to, a little bit maybe less liquid in the in the general sense and, and harder to evaluate, like you said, harder to like kind of create pricing around. Um, if you can find other people who are sitting on the other side of the world or somewhere else that are not, you know, even if they're not physically close to you, you're still able to kind of like get value out of that asset. Um, and that's like a use case I've not really thought about, but it's very interesting. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's just the first step of what makes DeFi so unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, other is the fact that it is what is called composable. And what, what, what this really represents is that any, any of the data that, that a system like, like this, this bank of ours, right, which, which kind of um, looks at sneakers and provides, uh, provides, you know, like a line of credit against the same to people, um, all, all of that, that transaction data is something that, that sits essentially on a public ledger. Right? Mm-hmm. So you, you can now essentially have this, this being modeled by a, a, a program that's, that's kind of encoded as a smart contract, which, which then kind of 
uh, makes makes things uh, more streamlined and and more algorithmic and and therefore potentially uh, more I, I guess understandable if, if one kind of gets into the mechanics of how the system was constructed. But the the more interesting aspect around all of this is that people can now look at the way this this particular market is is performing, and they they can start utilizing. Um, the, the, the read and write functions that the smart contract provides to build more complicated instruments on top. So if, if they see, for instance, that you, know, um, you, you, you kind of have uh, different duration loans for, for different kinds of, um, I, I don't know, like um, sneaker-based collateral, they, they can then actually start thinking about setting an interest rate swap instrument on, on the basis of the loans that, that are actually sitting in the book. And the, 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 the really interesting part about all of this is that you, you actually have the capability to, to enable other people to build on, 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 top, of, on, on top of your system and, and do things that, that could ultimately streamline what's, what's going on underneath in, in, in some capacity as well. And that essentially leads to these, these really intense feedback loops, which, which kind of makes systems um, scale and grow in, in, in a fashion that, that really hasn't been seen uh, to, to an extent that, that we've seen in the DeFi space. Well, this is, so this is where I start to kind of have trouble grasping a little bit because I understand the basic technology underlying the blockchain or, or certain protocol. But when I think about like, if we go back to our example of like lending and borrowing and we take out the bank, this kind of central bank that's the intermediary and we put in place, like you said, instead of one bank holding a bunch of power or maybe like in the US, I don't know how many thousands of banks there are, but probably the top 10 banks probably own a big majority of the market share. So if we, rather than having like 10 banks like really um, own most of the lending market in the US, let's say we have like thousands of people or intermediaries. So it just creates um, a lot more intermediaries with a lot less power within each is kind of what I'm sensing. But how does that like work? Like who sets the rate? Like how do I know what rate I'm going to get if I take out a loan? Does that make sense? Like I just don't understand. Is it, is it through the protocol that's kind of setting the market rate or how do I know like what you're going to lend me or your, like how much I can borrow at? I, I, I was mistaken when I said the most interesting part about DeFi was composability. Um, I think the most interesting part about DeFi is the fact that all of this is essentially set by the community who uses these services and builds the, the protocol in, in some sense. Right? So, um, but, but how? Uh, <laughs> like, do they just ping each other on like, like oh, I want 10%, you want 12, like we'll meet in the middle at 11 kind of thing? I guess I don't understand the sequence of events. Sure. So um, what's, what's, what's kind of happening and, and the way I guess even DeFi began in, in some extent, the, the, one of, one of the, the DeFi OGs was, was this product called Therma, which was essentially facilitating what, what, what were peer-to-peer, uh, straight peer-to-peer, uh, I guess, lending and, and borrowing facilities. And, um, and um, what, what transpired was that if, if you kind of have multiple peer-to-peer interactions but without the, the capability of, of having some form of coordination, then scaling a system becomes incredibly hard. And this is what uh, a system called Compound really saw and, and mm-hmm. saw a sense in essentially getting a, 
an actual smart contract to serve as a counterparty for, for different people who kind of came in um, to, to interact with the protocol in terms of, um, say, setting, um, setting limits around lending and borrowing and, and, and things along those lines. But, but the, the idea was that, um, so the, the initial team uh, behind Compound kind of built, built the protocol with, with a certain set of um, safety parameters in mind by saying that, look, if you, if you have Bitcoin and you want to kind of um, lend it to, to the, the protocol, mm-hmm. uh, they, they then kind of saw in, in some extent the, the amount of, of reserves that, that needed to be present in the protocol to ensure that there was... Um, that the, the, the protocol itself was, was kind of running smoothly and with, without any any kind of risks or systematic risks in, in, in one market kind of flooding through, through throughout the, the next and, and, and the like. And they kind of continued this um, for a period of about a year or a year and a half. And, and then um, it, it actually grew pretty, pretty decently in, in, in some extent where people were, I, I think they got feedback from, from their initial users in terms of, you know, setting things along the lines of, how much collateral you can borrow against a certain kind of asset, um, uh, how, how much you can potentially earn in terms of uh, the, the interest rate uh, for, for any, any kind of deposit. And, and all of the, the, the good part about all of this was, was all of this was almost done on a real-time basis and in a very, very transparent way because you could actually account for what the, 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 the smart contract bank was, was kind of doing in terms of actually facilitating transactions of, of lending and borrowing to different users. You, you could actually see reserves that, that were kind of getting created and, and the rate at which they were building. You could, you could actually see things that, that banks um, struggle on a daily basis in, in, in some regard to, to kind of keep a, a, a sense of in, in terms of meetings, should we say, um, capital requirements or, or I, I guess equity requirements that they need to satisfy in some sense. But, but all of this is, is firstly transparent and it's on chain. But the, 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 the really cool thing that the team decided to do at this point was they said, look, you, you guys have done a, an amazing job kind of using the system and uh, you've, you've gotten enough of an understanding of how the system works that we think we can hand over the keys to the kingdom where we, we can actually start distributing um, governance-based tokens to, to people who use the protocol for them to actually control the key parameters around what should be the, the adequate amount of collateral that, that you should be depositing to get a loan, what, how should interest rates vary in terms of the utilization of, of um, assets within the, the protocol as such, um, what, what should be the kind of incentives that, that should be given to, to say, take start a new uh, lending in a borrowing market. And, and they said, look, we, we, we're, we're gonna start this, this distribution program, we'll, we'll give up 50% of, of our uh, governance power to, to the community who's, who's kind of using this system. And that's, that's just that, and, and have, have a free run at it. It's, it's an open system. Feel free to build things that, that you want. Uh, we will kind of incentivize you for, for, for doing the same by awarding you more governance tokens. And, and, and at, at the end of the day, Compound has, has kind of basically managed to, um, to, to kick off essentially this, this whole revolution of DeFi where I think in, in, in terms of what, what it took Lending Club or SoFi maybe five years to do in terms of building a loan book and actually doing loan originations, um, Compound's done in less than two years. I think um, in, in, in terms of, I, I think the, the last I checked, I 
he, he was sitting at $24 billion worth of loan originations in, in, in all wow. of the time that we've been around. Uh, they've, they've got $6 billion of, of deposits. They've got about $3 billion in loans outstanding. And, and the, the best part about all of this is that you, you can really see on, on a on a block-to-block basis or on a real-time basis how, how markets are kind of evolving, what, what kind of activities people are, are doing in, in terms of lending and borrowing and, and how, how best, if, if you basically have a decent amount of skin in the game in, in, in terms of tokens uh, that, that, um, that, that help you govern the protocol, but what kind of things you should really be doing um, to ensure that uh, the, the protocol is is sustainable. It, it doesn't kind of you know like crash and burn. There's it, it's it's still resilient to, to potentially systemic um, or crashes um, in in asset prices or or user behavior and, and things along those lines. So um, that's that's a way I guess DeFi is kind of um, evolved in some extent. Yeah. So a lot I feel like a lot to unpack there. But so Compound um, and I was trying to look up like while we were talking who the who the investors are um, who back it. But I think they were backed by um, Coinbase and Andreessen Horowitz, I want to say, but don't quote me on that. We've got Paradigm, also investors in Coinbase, sorry, in So, yeah, um, we, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, what, what, what Compound's done has, has just been a, a trade base in every, every sense of the term, and that's, that's just, just been incredible for, for the whole DeFi ecosystem. But, um, but the fact that, I mean, this, this was something that, that you kind of saw or did not see really with, with Uber, where you did not incentivize any of the, the early drivers in the network or the early users, and, and Airbnb tried to do this, where they got Morgan Stanley to potentially um, get some share subscriptions to the early users on the platform, but um, that was um, something that, that did not go well at all, um, thanks to the fact that, you, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it, it was super hard for them to kind of track down people and, and see wherever they were and, and things along those lines. But the fact that all of, all of this history is kind of available on chain, you, you can kind of look at, at a user's transactions with, with the, the compound protocol as such uh, across however much time you want, made it extremely easy for Compound to, to understand who, who their early users and adopters were, set aside um, uh, a, a distribution plan, and, and essentially just to send uh, these, these tokens, which, which helped people vote on, on crucial aspects of the, the, the protocol and the crucial parameters of the, the protocol as such. So, so um, I think two, two things I wanted to um, I guess com- comment on that you that you brought up that I think are really interesting. So one is this idea of governance that you talked about. So if I'm understanding right, Compound, um, similar to how maybe like another institution might work, was setting kind of these rates based on the data they were seeing in the protocol and kind of um, instead or as they grew, gave this sort of ability f- to set rates or like determine how much collateral to post, et cetera, or to hold um, to those early adopters of their um, protocol. So not everyone has governance rights. It's a certain, you have to have some kind of certain level of activity or, or have been on the platform for a certain amount of time. Is that correct? So the way the distribution works right now is if, if you're a lender or a borrower in the system, there, there is a constant trickle of compound tokens that, that keeps flowing to your account. Oh, and that's, okay. really and that's how you accumulate more governance as you have more compound tokens. Yep, exactly. Interesting. And, and it, it's kind of changing. It's it's not. I mean, it's it's really kind of changing anything and everything about the protocol. So that that's mm-hmm. the 
the extent to which um, governance kind of freely works in, in this case. So um, uh, if, if the community decides they, they can kind of change um, or actually change or bring, bring in a very, very drastic change and kind of say, introduce, I don't know, like fixed term lending, uh, um, as opposed to some, some part of the wallet, uh, the, the more floating rate stuff that we typically see associated with, uh, with, with different markets or, or kind of change the, the, the reserve ratios of, of a particular market and, and, and kind of choose to, to, uh, to distribute that uh, across other markets or to other users and, and, and really anything in, 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 that, in that sense. Well, this is, so this is so interesting from a philosophical point of view, because I think in a way it makes it super, it makes it much more democratic, right? Than having a central authority. Um, And which I personally feel is like a net benefit and and good to give more, you know, I I believe in that and the ability of technology to do that. On the other hand, you think about, you know, um, kind of, bubbles forming or market frenzy. And I think the perfect example is like what happened in the last two weeks with GameStop and um, Wall Street, um, what is it called? Wall Street bets on Reddit. Um, You know, see that will be, I mean, and I think this is an area that will continue to evolve in many different ways and we'll see more cases of it in the future. But on the one hand, democracy is good, right? And or I believe, I mean, I guess everyone has their own opinion, but I generally believe that and like the more power to the people better. But on the other hand, you could make the counter argument that if like, what is the check and balance to kind of group think and some kind of market frenzy? And I think that's what probably regulators or central banks would say is that you need someone who can kind of like check and balance market forces or kind of these, you know, community powers on the other hand. I mean, so, but like who's, who's watching the watcher kind of, right? Like who is, is watching that. And so it's an interesting um, philosophical debate. I, I don't think, you know, we'll probably solve it ever. It'll, but it'll be interesting to see how these like communities continue to form and create different, um, yeah, different market forces or different pushes in different directions and how that um, contradicts the established um, kind of way people have done it. I think, yeah, the, the great example is what happened with GameStop, I think, the last couple of weeks. Um, oh, I, I quite agree. I think in, in some sense, it's, um, and what's, what's maybe alarming is the fact that um, you are almost handing uh, tools to, to, to people who've never really had access to, to these kinds of um, methodologies or, or, um, or, 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 or um, arbitrage opportunities, if I might call it that. And, and you're, you're kind of really democratizing access in, in, in that way. And, and there's this definitely going to be market frenzies, up, upturns and downturns. This, this is something that's been seen in every form of market. I do not, and, and more so, I guess, in the crypto space. But and this, this is something that, that will keep continuing. And so mm-hmm. that's, 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 um, that's something that I think we, we've kind of hopefully gotten um, used to in some sense that uh, we will kind of uh, no longer, I, I guess there's, there's, there's no real rationality in terms of uh, how markets behave. But the, the really, I guess, interesting part about, about all of this is that um, the things that, that you, you kind of touched upon in terms of checks and balances, right? So um, that's, that's something that is actually more, more, more interestingly happening at, at an algorithmic level in, in some sense. Mm-hmm. And you, Actually, there's this very, very interesting systems that are coming out that, that actually look at 
um, elements of what's what's called control theory. So you, you if, if you look at a thermostat, right? So it, it kind of uses or understands or gauges the, the temperature in the room, and then it, it kind of amps up heating or, or cooling or whatever it, it might be doing, so that it maintains, should we say, uh, the, the, the target um, level that, that it's supposed to get the room at in, in some extent. And so um, the same math that, that you kind of think uh, that's, that's behind the, the functioning of a thermostat could actually be applied to, to financial markets. And, and if, if you kind of think about that, that's, that's fundamentally super cool. You, you, you've only had like very, very broad gauges by through, through which in, in, in terms of monetary and, and fiscal, fiscal policy in some, some sense, to, to kind of um, ensure that market participants were aligned um, and, and I, I guess um, uh, kind of uh, moving, should we say, to a, a broader goal of, I don't know, controlling inflation or, or, or things along, along those lines. And, and these were very broad-based measures and, and it, it was pretty hard to kind of be as granular as you could be. But these, these kinds of systems that, that you have, that, that you're kind of building in DeFi, are, are capable of, of looking at, at things that are extremely granular. And, and this, this is all thanks to the fact that all of the, 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 the transactions, all, all of this, this data is really available on the public. Yeah. You can kind of use this as a basis to, to kind of build better systems that, that could hopefully be much, much better at regulating themselves than we could ever hope to be. I think that's a that's a great point. Is the data um, available is uh, pretty profound. I don't think we've probably fully understood or kind of um, like the applicability of it or the use cases of it. But it's it's just so different because before, like like we said, like right, a bank's going to hold on to their financial data, or maybe maybe they share it with I don't know government regulatory bodies or something like that. Or if you're getting your credit score checked, right, like a few. Um, which, by the way, this is like a whole nother side thing, but like, why is it that that's so like behind closed doors about why credit is like, you get some score and you kind of like don't really know what goes on? Like, that seems like if that's going to affect me, like I should know what what's going on, like why that's coming out the way it is. But anyways, sorry, that's like a different tangent. But you think about it and you're like, well, why do those, you know, those intermediaries have access to stuff that really affects me and I don't get to see all the data behind it, right? And I think that's something that, um, I mean, that kind of data transparency is something that we continue to see, I think not just in finance, but probably across like different industries. Um, I think probably healthcare is another big one in terms of like having access to your healthcare data will probably be a big change as well. Um, I'm getting off topic because there's something that I also wanted to, to go back to that you said that I think is really important to explain um, is you mentioned kind of the evolution of, of finance and the rise of these fintechs, which I think we've seen in the last probably like 10, 15 years, um, things like SoFi. Um, and then you mentioned Lending Club um, in particular. And I wanted to just mention, like, explain to listeners um, this transition of where, you know, you saw generally like, right, banks or typical regulatory, regulated banks kind of as the main hub of this lending and then I would say maybe um, in the 2000, I don't know when Lending Club was started, but maybe 2007. I should probably, I can Google that real fast. But then there's this rise of like P2P lending, which is peer-to-peer lending, right? Um, and that's actually like a really interesting phase that grew really fast for a while. And then actually like Lending Club ran into some issues and some of the others had issues. But basically where you're funding, right, between um between people you're just basically bringing people together and being able to 
to fund, um, you know, I have a bunch of investors over here who want to deposit their money and earn, earn interest. And then I have a bunch of people over here who want to take out a loan. And so I'm going to kind of match them up. And, um, what's interesting to me is I had done, and this is like going back a little bit in my career, but, uh, I guess this was 2012. I had done a Fulbright doing research in microfinance in Brazil. And like, I think what's interesting is we've come back fully to like this idea of microcredit that had occurred in a lot of more emerging company countries. Um, you know, over the past, like since the seventies, um, eighties, when, uh, you know, you had, um, like Muhammad Yunus and some of the others really push microcredit forward. But um, this idea that, you know, basically you're just, you're lending money to people. And it's funny to me that we've come full circle with that because I've been using, I don't know if you're familiar with Kiva, which is like a microcredit, right? You basically like, I, I mean, right now it's kind of nonprofit, like more of a, you're helping people out. So you, you lend out some, I think I have $25 there and basically you lend it out to people, they pay you back over installments. And then once I get paid back, I like put it back into the system and it basically matches up my loan, my donation here sitting in the US with people all over the world that are looking for funds to fund like their small business. So I've lent to people like in Central America or in Asia or Africa. And um, that's that to me is kind of like the forerunner to where we are now, which is like uh, DeFi in a way. I mean, to me, that's kind of like a earlier version of it. And it's interesting to me that we've like, like in the U in the U.S. at least it's coming only now kind of, you know, like it's a weird, uh, evolution of the industry, I think. Um, yeah. Well, that's, that's a very good point. And I think what, what we had before was, oh, 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 we, we, I, I think like what, what you said is super relevant. I think a lot of things were bound by, um, communities that, that were, you know, like, um, Refine, oh, that, that were confined to a particular geographic location or, or bound by family ties and things along those lines that, that helped kind of um, foster the growth of a few of these, uh, these, these um, I guess, instruments, if one might call it that. But uh, we, we now have a lot more online communities, uh, people kind of seeking to find uh, common or meet people with, with similar interests, aspirations, goals, and, and, and the like. And what's, what's really interesting is DeFi is kind of firstly enabling these communities to kind of recognize the value that they bring to each other. And the second aspect is the fact that these communities actually control the, the services that, that um, underpower uh, the, the, the DeFi protocol or service that, 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 that they're actually using. And so if imagine if, if you were um, working with, with Kiva and you actually had a, a piece of state that, that enabled you to understand how Kiva was functioning and actually kind of gave you more skin in the game to ensure that Kiva would, would hopefully be something that, that would be sustainable over the long run, right? So you, you'd probably be um, a little more engaged, a little more hopefully um, aware. And, and that, that's something that, that's setting DeFi apart in, in, in a few ways. So, um. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's an interesting point. And I want to, um, I'm just looking at like some of the questions I had gone over. I, I kind of want to move to, um, so how do, like, I feel like we've talked a lot about the theoretical or kind of more high level of, of how it works. And I kind of want to move to like, what is out there today that you can actually use and access and how would one person do this? Um, so I, in preparation for this, which like did it kind of last minute because I was doing this this morning, but, um, was trying to figure out like, how do I, like, how do I do DeFi? <laughs> like, how do I do this? So I texted like a few friends this week and was, who are very like, 
um, into crypto and was like, okay, so like, how do I do DeFi and like, where should I set up my account? And um, so I spent like all morning going to this really long rabbit hole of basically, so first I tried, uh, because I had set up a login with BlockFi, so I tried there. But the problem is, is like someone, and we can get into this a little bit, I think you mentioned this, is like BlockFi is more in central finance enabling DeFi rather than being pure DeFi. So we can we can talk a little bit about that. But then there's like a bunch of KYC you have to do and blah, 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 and I couldn't like actually do it today. So I was like, okay, cool. So let me try something else. So then I tried, um, I was like, I'll go to Aave, Aave? Aave or, yeah, sure, Aave. whatever. It's spelled A A V E. I don't quite know how to pronounce it, but <laughs> so yeah, free to kind of. I think people are still um, all over the place in terms of what 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 they choose to call things. So, <laughs> so I went to this other platform that multiple people um, were like, "Oh, you could check this out." So I went to there, and they tell me, "Okay, so you sign up, and then you have to connect a wallet to your account." So I'm like, "Okay, uh, I'll connect a wallet." So. I set up a Coinbase wallet today. There's like a bunch of like two-factor authentication, blah, 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 like 1,200 checks on like put in this code that I'm going to send to your phone and blah, blah, blah. And then you connect to your Coinbase wallet and you connect that to your Coinbase account. Trying to move like, um, you know, stuff into my Coinbase wallet. But then there was like, I don't know, something's going on with the Coinbase app today where I couldn't like get actually buy or receive send crypto into my coinbase wallet so i was like okay i can't use that so then i tried uh moving my cash up um stuff into my coinbase wallet but then so then i moved bitcoin into that okay this is so i because cash app only allows you to buy bitcoin right now no other cryptos on there so i moved cash app into my wallet but then i go to eve and you can't Bitcoin's not one of the options. <laughs> so I did all that. And then I like couldn't, I was like, okay, so Bitcoin's not one of the assets, which is a question I have for you before I continue with this story, because there's more, but can Sorry. we just pause and can you explain why it's not one of the assets that is part of, because I, I don't, it seems to be more Ethereum is like the go-to asset here. Pretty much, I think. Almost all of what you see in DeFi today and the major activity that, that you see in DeFi, including, I guess, the $34 billion of collateral that's, that's locked up, is every, it's, everything is, is on Ethereum. Um, and that's, th- that's thanks to the fact that you essentially have the capability to, to have programmability and, and actually run um, applications on, on, on top of mm-hmm. the blockchain. So Bitcoin is kind of it's been built for one thing and one thing only just and, and that's to facilitate transfers from from one uh, from one account to another um what ethereum managed to do was um take this a step a much bigger step further and say let's just not think about digital gold let's let's actually think about building a, a settlement layer for all in any kind of markets that you can imagine for all in any kinds of assets and so it, it kind of gives you the, the flexibility to create assets to, to kind of not not just move these around, but but actually create applications that can access and also change the, the state that, that is maintained over the, the, the blockchain and essentially run as, as an application that you kind of see on your phone, but one that's actually spread out over, over a network of, of um, nodes that, that, that are kind of maintaining the, the, the uh, that, that, that are essentially running the, the Ethereum blockchain. And so that programmability is, is what kind of separates Ethereum from from Bitcoin, and so Bitcoin doesn't have a natural way of getting itself on on Ethereum. 
there, there, there are a couple of options where you can actually send Bitcoin and get what's called a wrapped Bitcoin or a WBTC mm-hmm. version. Um, and and that, that essentially represents an asset that, that you can use freely on, on, the, uh, on, on the Ethereum blockchain. And once, once you kind of do that, um, I think you, you can kind of um, essentially get to do anything with your Bitcoin that was not kind of possible on the Bitcoin um, blockchain as such. Because, yeah, I mean, that's, that's hard to build programs on top of. Um, and, and we're kind of seeing that with a lot of Bitcoin holders who, who kind of realize that, um, well, they're kind of sitting on a pet rock. Um, they, they can't do anything more with the Bitcoin. Um, so <laughs> why, why not get yeah. to and start using all of this? So. I, learned, I learned that today. Well, to, so to continue the story, so then I realized, okay, Bitcoin's not going to work. So then I'm like, okay, let me move my Ethereum over. But then same thing, I had some issues. So then I was like, okay, I'll buy. Well, so then I went, I knew Robinhood, which I have some crypto on, doesn't actually let you transfer anything. You don't actually own the underlying, which is a problem. So then I was like, oh, I have stuff at PayPal. PayPal, I learned today, same problem right now. Yep. Um, so that kind of sucks because I was like, well, I didn't know that. So great. Um, so just learned that one the hard way. Um, but then, and uh, because what I love about those interfaces is the UX is very easy. And that's, that's like my other point is like, I appreciate the security and like, you want to keep things on a wallet and blah, blah, blah. But like some of the UI and UX experiences here, like leave room to be desired. It is very buggy. Like then I went to my ledger to buy coin, like through Coinify to buy some USDT, but then that just like crapped out and I don't know why, like it just wouldn't connect for whatever reason. So there's just a lot of like, I think the UX in this space before it really gets more mass adoption, my personal take is like, I was very motivated to do this this morning and I gave up after like an hour and a half and was like, I'm going to go for a run because I'm too stressed out. <laughs> so I still don't have like DeFi like working for an account, but we'll have to do a version, like another pod of this in like another episode in a few months when like, hopefully I've figured it out. Um, I would suggest, um, <laughs> Mobile applications. Um, mm-hmm. First is um, one that's a little again. I, I would say um, uh, not non-custodial. Well, it is semi-custodial. So you can you can download the Tharma app. It's spelled okay. T-H-E-R-M-A, and that 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 would essentially enable you to kind of get get access to um, any form of I guess ERC twenty assets using um, an on-ramp. Um, uh, with with a credit card or a debit card from from what I know in a few states, and then you can use that to interact with with any DeFi protocols. I think they've got a, a bunch of native integrations with 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 the major DeFi apps like like Aave and Compound and things along those lines. Okay. Um, so that's one. The other, which is actually a super nice streamlined experience that I've I've personally used, is is a mobile wallet called Argent. It's spelled A R G E N D. E R. E R like silver, like the the R. Like the oh, Ar- oh, Argent. Oh, like okay, cool. And that that I think is is one of I, I think it's 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 brilliant. I think in, in in every sense of the term, it's it's got a very very smooth onboarding experience. You you actually have the the wallet on your phone, and um, you you can kind of get um you you can kind of use um wire or transact or what what whatever they they've got indicated to buy um, eat or or any 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 asset that you really want. And, and then they, I, I think they also have a bunch of native integrations with, with DeFi apps where you can directly deposit, say, ETH or, or your USDC or USDT in a 
you know, compound or, or RVA and stop, um, you know, um, earning interest on the same. Um, yeah, I, I will try this out, but I think I just want to share for, for people who might be new or overwhelmed by this. Like I have worked in finance for a long time and even worked directly in a crypto company and like still couldn't quite figure it all out. So like, I think one is like, it's okay if you're still new and feel overwhelmed by the concepts or like what you're doing. Um, and two would be like, do a lot of education and like research and, um, because, you know, going back to our points about democratization and opening, you know, enabling a lot of people to have access to this, it's both great, but also I think you have to, that makes it because there's no one kind of doing these, being a gatekeeper for you, you have to be your own gatekeeper. So you have to do a lot of your own research and like um, kind of due diligence before you put your money out there. Because um, I think that's why we have, we have a lot of regulation for consumer finance in particular is because people have taken advantage of that in the past, unfortunately. Um, but anyways, my journey will continue and I'll keep people posted on how it works out. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're not just disheartened after, after a very long set of experiments. I'm, I'm, I'm very glad you had the tenacity to do this, but um, yeah, I think it's um, getting, getting those, getting over that initial hurdle is, is hard, but once, once you kind of do and you have um, some form of a digital footprint in, in the, um, the, the blockchain space, I think, um, yeah, the opportunities are really endless in, in every sense of the term. So. Yeah. Um... Well, I think, I mean, we've covered a lot and I feel like this is, might be a good place to kind of start wrapping up, but is there any other thoughts or um, things you like wanted to share about the space, either things you've learned or wish you had known before um, when you started early on um, exploring this, this kind of um, subspace of crypto? That is a, huh. that is a good question. I um, in, in, in some sense, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm super thrilled, I guess, in, in every sense of the term, because what, um, right, I think we were barely scratching the, the, the tip of the iceberg um, in, in, in DeFi. I think um, this, this is going to be something as, as big as the unbundling of the, the print media industry when, when you kind of saw the internet come. And that's, that's, um, that's, that's a huge, huge opportunity for, for people to kind of um, step in and, and learn more and, and actually build things that, that make a lot of sense in, 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 in terms of uh, creating these, these different forms of value and these different forms of financial services that, that you can actually start um, using in, in a very permissionless way. I think the ultimate vision or, or I, I guess the, the, the cypherpunk mission of DeFi was, was to really enable anyone with an internet connection to kind of have access to financial services whenever they wanted in, in any part of the world that, that, they, uh, that they were in, in, in some sense. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I guess when, when it comes to um, things I wish I had known, that, that is a very good question. I, I, I still get the sense that there's, there's so much about uh, the, the financial space that I'm, I'm still kind of learning and, and probably relearning a, a bunch of things that, that people who've, who've worked in, the, in the, the traditional financial industry have, have gotten to grips with many years back. And that, that's, that's a process that, that I feel, um, I, 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 I guess, I, I guess the, the initial, um, I guess, um, enthusiasm of, of kind of completely tearing things down and, and, and then kind of rediscovering that, you know, things were actually put in place for a reason um, was is, is something that um, 
I guess people in the space have, have kind of come to grips with, but I guess they say the burnt hand teaches best. And so I think we're, we're kind of um, at, at the point where we are seeing the need to, to kind of involve more people who have actually worked in, in, in any financial service from starting from central banking to insurance to, to um, I guess, regulating markets around derivatives and, and options and, and, and actually kind of facilitating that, that, that dialogue and, and getting, getting to understand, you know, what's, what's, what's been built, what's, what's been tested, what doesn't work, and then kind of using that as a basis to build new systems from the ground up. But I, I think that that's that's something that I wish I had known. I, I wish other a lot of other builders in the space had known. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably where I'd, I'd say um, there still is is a huge gap to kind of fill. Yeah, um, it it'll be interesting to see how the traditional space or people have worked in more traditional in the more traditional side of finance m- melds with um, with. Uh, with the crypto industry and kind of the new technologies that are coming out. Like, I think, I think my personal thesis has evolved to be where I don't know that I necessarily believe the industry is going to overtake or like completely destroy traditional finance. I think there's a lot of like, um, inertia in place in the system. I think there's also a lot of reasons why things have developed the way they have. So I foresee um, more of a melding of the two rather than necessarily one taking over the other, Um, at least from where I sit today. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Time will tell. So, Um, It's it's super interesting because like a friend of mine was was speaking about giving his his kids some cash and they they said... um, why do we want this? We'd, we'd rather you just give us, I guess, Fortnite V-Bucks and yeah, that's that's what we want in, in some sense. So <laughs> That's <laughs> really interesting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, I, I guess the, the, the point that I'm probably just, just making is that I, I'm, I'm pretty sure this, what, what, what he said is, is spot on, but I think that there's, there's a lot of things that, that are kind of um, moving to a very, very digital way of kind of interacting. I think we're actually creating ecosystems that, that, that people care about, that, that people want to interact and live out some part of their lives in, 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 that, in that sphere. And so this is definitely going to be a, a lot more kind of use cases where things where you did not really associate tangible value could, could actually um, get integrated with uh, the concepts in the DeFi space, um, in, in gaming, in, in, in digital art. And these, these are things that we're just actually seeing right now and they're, they're exploding and that's that's incredible to kind of witness as well but 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 yeah i think there's this bound to be uh more of of systems that are kind of keep learning from each other and hopefully working in a syncretic fashion so yeah that's actually a great point that the gaming and crypto um industry how they um evolve and uh i'm sure will continue i know that's a really big growing space um for crypto is is kind of the that sub group of gaming and um, value, digital value. Um, so I'm not a gamer myself, but I wish I were kind of because I feel like it's probably a space that's going to continue to grow. Um, but maybe that's actually a great topic I should think about doing. And maybe um, we can do that and then I can try out some kind of video game and trying to buy some crypto through that. Or I don't know, figure that out. That'll be for another day, but a good place to probably. Um, and here. <laughs> yeah.
And I mean, when, when Charlie Munger himself said that, you show me the incentive, I'll show you the outcome. That's, that's pretty much what giving is really about. <laughs> in every sense of the term, we're, we're kind of seeing that um, in, in many cases in the real world, but, but even the app store that we use on a daily basis. So that's, that's uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly that, so. Um, cool. Well, this has been super interesting. Um, I've learned a lot. I think there's a lot more to learn. Um, like you said, I think we just barely scratched the surface. So I hope this is like a continuing theme. Um, so thanks for sharing and appreciate the time. And then I always end uh, my segments with asking if there's anything you are reading, listening to, or watching that is interesting that you want to recommend to other people. Um, and if not, that's okay too. <laughs> Um, no, it's it's one thing I would probably um, and this is this is probably a little further 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 out um, as just kind of um, pre-reading. I, I don't know if people ended up reading the the trilogy by Shishin Lu about the, the three body problem. Um, and there's um, no okay. Um, I mean it's it's a it's a pretty pretty far out thing in terms of um, understanding. I guess uh, the dynamics with with which um, I guess different galactic um, civilizations or, or I guess um, subspecies kind of interact with each other in, in some in some context and mm -hmm. there's a very fascinating concept in that, that he kind of brings out in the second book which, which speaks about uh, how the universe is actually like a dark forest um, where, where people kind of um, where, where different um, civilizations are, are naturally incentivized to, um, to kind of keep a very eye out um, and, and destroy um, another um, living um, phase study encounter. Uh, thanks, thanks to the way I guess the, the, the mechanics are kind of set up, or the, the the incentives are set up in, in that context. And uh, there's there's a lot of literature that's that's kind of coming up in in the in the, in the public blockchain space because a lot of the information that I just mentioned is really pretty much on chain, and any transactions that you send are public information. And there's there's a lot of like these intelligent agents or bots which which kind of constantly trawl. Um, uh, the the pool of, of all the transactions that, that keep getting sent by the users and and then they, they kind of end up doing some some really um, interesting or underhanded things whatever you may choose to call them and just to potentially get arbitrage and so yeah I mean I, I'd probably just just recommend the read of of Shishin Liu um, and, and what's the, the title again it's called the three body problem and that's the first book in the, in the series but uh, yeah there's just three of them in in, in that I'll um, I'll add that to the um, posts so people can can um, look at it. Um, I don't have as much of an interesting recommendation. Mine is I just read uh, Mindy Kaling of the Mindy Project and The Office, her second book, um, which is very funny, and I read it in a very short amount of time. So I recommend that if um, uh, if anyone's looking for something fun to read. So uh, they're different you know, <laughs> different recommendations there, whatever is your flavor of the day. Um, but thanks so much, Praneeth, and um, definitely look forward to when I actually figure out my DeFi account, how we can continue the conversation. And you can probably get, get more people on board. Thanks, everyone. And as always, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, um, or you can listen or read, sign up for the newsletter at um, walletstreet.squarespace.com. It comes out on Mondays, so you can either start 
your Monday reading what happened in the week before, or you can just procrastinate what you need to do for that week and read the newsletter instead. So um, that's it for today. And uh, thank you all. <laughs>